Welcome to the Rural Insights Podcast, where we explore rural actions and policies that impact Michigan's Upper Peninsula and beyond. This podcast is brought to you by the Rural Insights Institute, working to ensure that rural citizens and policymakers alike have the information necessary to make good decisions. If you'd like to learn more about Rural Insights, visit ruralinsights.org. Now, here's your host, David Haynes. Good day, everybody. Welcome to Rural Insights podcast series. And today we're again pleased. Uh, He's been with us before. It's David John, who is the president and CEO of War Memorial Hospital over in the eastern UP in Sault Ste. Marie and serves a good chunk of the Upper Peninsula. And uh, we're going to get some updates from him on a number of, of what's going on. Welcome, David. Good to see you again. Thanks, David. Good to see you as well. So uh, tell us about, you have a new affiliation. What's that all about? Yes, uh, you know, we're, uh, we just signed a, a definitive agreement with uh, their new name now is called My Michigan Health. Um, it was Mid-Michigan, but uh, since our signing of the agreement, they're no longer Mid. Um, they're uh, all over Michigan, so they just changed their name to My Michigan Health. Um, oh. And, uh, you know, we've been at this process of looking for a potential partner for probably 10 plus years, but we've been able to survive as an independent hospital for, for a long time. And uh, uh, back in 2018, um, 2019, we had some struggles financially. And uh, at that point, uh, we thought maybe this is a time to look for a, a partner. And we sent out... RFPs to six different uh, hospital systems, and over the course of time, whittled it down to a couple, and then uh, chose uh, my my Michigan, and uh, you know that that should be a beneficial thing for the Eastern UP for sure. I know my Michigan uh, is now also a partner with Mackinac Straits Hospital in Saint Ignace, and uh, I'm pretty sure um, you know they're looking to uh, um, partner with. Uh, um, Helen Newberry Joy Hospital in Newberry with their electronic health record. Um, and, uh, you know, it'd be nice to have all three hospitals in the Eastern UP working together to provide uh, as much care as possible in the Eastern UP. So my Michigan is MY Michigan or MI Michigan? MY Michigan, all okay. one word. My Michigan. Yeah. Okay. And so tell us, so patients, uh, that come to you, the advantage to being part of this, you're part of the University of Michigan Health System, right? Correct. What to give you? Well, from a, from a patient perspective, you know, we, we patients won't see, uh, you know, a, a huge difference. You know, we hear right now, well, you know, I don't want to go to Midland when, when I could go someplace closer. Well, as you know, with the Amtala laws and other things, we have to send any emergency to the closest most appropriate facility. And, you know, we're not going to change geography. So McLaren, Northern Michigan and Petoskey is still going to be the closest, most appropriate. So patients will, will go there a lot of the time. Um, but in our ER, there are times where um, McLaren, Northern Michigan can't uh, provide the service that's needed and needs a higher level of care. And, you know, a lot of times we'll try to transfer to University of Michigan Health System and they won't have any beds. But because 
my Michigan is um, is part of University of Michigan Health System, we'll we'll have uh, you know the the bat phone or whatever um, the hotline, and uh, we're told uh, we'll have much easier access to get an open bed at the University of Michigan Health System for those um, patients that can't be treated locally or uh, or in Petoskey, um, Traverse City, or Marquette. Would there be University of Michigan health system physicians coming up occasionally to, to War Memorial? I, it, there may be. Um, more than anything, we, we may have access via telemedicine, um, you know, to some of their specialists. And, you know, there's a there's a conditions of use agreement where, you know, we're, we're allowed to use the block M on our signage and things, but we have to meet the same quality standards as University of Michigan Health System. So, you know, we, we think we provide high quality care here. And a lot of times, you know, when you're, when you're in a small community, the grass seems to always be greener on the other side. And people don't think that you do a good job in the small local community. And so just to have that behind us to say we're meeting the same standards as you know, uh, Michigan medicine, uh, that, that's going to be beneficial to us. So let me switch over to some of the rural issues. Uh, uh, you know, we're hearing all across the country talking about staff shortages and healthcare professions and clinics, hospitals all across the board. And, and, I, and I know you've served on national boards dealing with rural healthcare and, and, are, and are a national expert. Can you talk a little bit about it? Globally, but also what's happening in places like the Upper Peninsula with the labor shortage or the or the the, the shortage of uh, trained professionals. Sure, uh, you know, and it's it's not just the shortage of trained professionals. It's throughout probably most organizations just trying to find enough people to work. But you know, we're we're struggling. Um, a lot of hospitals are struggling. Um, you know, right now we're at capacity. Um, and just like other Michigan hospitals, and we've had to delay some surgeries because there's just not enough staff to take care of them. We, you know, we have uh, patients we call ED overs, where patients have to stay in the ED until we can get them up to a bed in, in our medical surgical floor or until they can be transferred somewhere else. But other hospitals can't accept them either um, because they're full. Um, and, you know, you can only, we, we have 49 beds um, but uh, if you only have staff to have 30 open or 35 or 36 open, you can't accept any more. And then when you have ED overs, uh, you know, that stresses the emergency department nurses because they're not only having to take care of patients who sh should be up on the medical floor, they're, they're taking care of emergencies. And, you know, I just read an article today from actually University of Michigan Health System where, you know, there's people in the community that are not COVID related, that are dying because they can't get in to see, um, you know, can't get into the ER, can't get in to see people, can't get transferred uh, to the appropriate facilities because we're all so stressed because of staffing. And it's, you know, it's nurses, it's it's certified nurse aides, it's phlebotomists, it's housekeepers, it's food nutrition workers. I mean, just this week, uh, actually Monday, yesterday, we, uh, we had to close down our cafeteria for staff uh, breakfast and dinner because we can't find cooks, um, you know, and we have to focus our efforts on serving meals to the patients and residents here. And if, if we can't find cooks to cook the food, um, then, you know, it's, it's not good for our employees because, you know, it's nice to come to work and 
be able to grab a bite to eat before you start your 12 hour shift. And uh, when you have to bring it in yourself or uh, um, not have breakfast, it, it, it's, it's not good. And uh, you know, it's, that's throughout the, throughout the country. And I, I, I really don't know when it's going to end. Uh, you know, it's, it's not all COVID related, but obviously um, you know, there's nobody, nobody in the workforce these days. And how do we get more people into the workforce? What are, uh, you know, and you're right, that's, that's facing every sector of the economy right now. And I think for people, it's even scarier when they hear they can't get into a hospital or they can't get this or they can't get that with related to their health care. What's your COVID situation like over in the Eastern UP? I know it's the numbers for the statewide and, and I've heard some of the other regions of the UP. What, what, what's the situation in the Eastern UP? Yeah, what, what most people don't realize is that uh, we're, we're worse now from a state perspective than we were at the peak of the pandemic uh, almost two years ago, and nobody's really talking about it. And, uh, you know, but in inside healthcare institutions, we're talking about it every day. And, you know, we're not, we're not at our max. Our max that we had at one time was last year, about this time, when we had 23 COVID patients. But at that time, we had more staff, too, to take care of them. Um, and uh, a lot of those uh, COVID patients were, were from the uh, Department of Corrections because we have two very large prisons here that had an outbreak at, at that time. And the Department of Corrections has done a great job of managing that internally, so they're not coming to our facility. Um, but right now, currently, we have two in ICU and eight in, in uh, the med surge floor, so 10 um, it's manageable, but it, again, when you have less staff, you know, if, if we didn't have those 10 patients there, the COVID patients, we could take care of more patients that are sitting in the ER and, and those type of things. And so, um, you know, it is, it is a challenge. And, you know, as, as statistics bear out to somewhere between 75 and 80% of the um, people getting admitted to the hospital are unvaccinated. Um, and, you know, the only way we're going to get out of this is uh, to get people vaccinated. Um, now, now we did have, uh, you know, I don't want it to be all doom and gloom about that, but we did have, we did have a success story, which was really good. I mean, I, I, I feel for the patient, but there was a 39-year-old 30, that was in here and had been in here for 35 days and for two weeks was on the ventilator. And then you can't keep somebody past two weeks on a ventilator. And uh, you had to do a tracheostomy, and and uh, you know I, I really thought, boy, the, the prognosis for this person is not good. Yet uh, somehow um, the lungs healed, and the patient was discharged on home oxygen yesterday. So you know, not not everybody um, perishes that gets that sick, but uh, you know that's that's the type of thing you can you can get into where. You know, how, how many of us would want to sit in a hospital bed for 40 days and be at the edge of uh, life and death? Um, I, I would hope most people wouldn't want to endure that and that they would, uh, you know, really think again about whether they should be vaccinated or not. What's your vaccination rate over in the eastern end? Well, I know for our employees, it's about 80%. I think in the eastern end, uh, you know, it's somewhere in the mid fifties to maybe 60%. I mean, it, you know, when it was only 65 and over, I think we're 70 plus percent. Um, but then, you know, they added on the younger people and now the kids and it takes time to get everybody vaccinated. So those percentages come down, but I know that 
the vaccine mandate, um, which is on hold right now, was was uh, worrisome because uh, you know we can't afford to lose two employees, let alone uh, you know thirty or forty employees. And we've gone through that, and we've you know we've we've had uh, I think a hundred and some people file religious exceptions, and maybe fifteen or twenty file uh, medical exceptions. But when you when you look at it right now everybody in our organization, but maybe 10 people have either picked one or the other. Um, so that if that vaccine mandate comes back, if the courts say it is constitutional or, or, or legal, um, we'll still have to deal with those 10 people to make a choice, but uh, it's better than, uh, it's better than we thought. So when you're thinking sort of wrapping up, what are the next two years? I know that seems like a, Hundred years right now in the middle of all this and the pandemic and everything. What are the what are the things you're thinking about that you got to keep your priority and focus on for War Memorial as the president and CEO? What for the next year or two years? Well, you know with the the shoe hasn't fallen yet, but uh, you know the whole financial piece of this uh, this pandemic has to fall at some time because when you're when you're short staffed and when you want to retain your employees, you're Usually, uh, you know, giving them additional income, giving them additional sign-on bonuses and things like that. And if you can't, then you're paying pretty exorbitant rates for uh, travelers. And, you know, we're, we, we, we used to pay somewhere in the $70 to $80 an hour for a traveling nurse, and now it's $200 an hour. And I know the state and federal government are looking into those traveling nurse companies saying, are they taking advantage of the, of the times? And... Uh, um, but we're not getting any more additional revenue from Medicare or Medicaid or, or Blue Cross. And when you're paying that much more um, to, to uh, um, you know, to your workforce some, somewhere, there's got to be a financial shoe that has to drop. And it's going to hit mostly in rural areas first because we're much smaller and don't have the depth and breadth of an organization that some larger ones do. But also, you know, just getting enough enough people in the healthcare workforce. I mean, I think what this pandemic has shown is that, you know, healthcare is one of the toughest jobs in, in, around and, and it's not only physically tough, it's mentally tough. And, you know, when in the past, you know, you, you saw death um, and, and it was usually at the end of life when somebody was elderly or somebody that had a medical emergency or gotten in an accident or whatever. And now, you know, you're seeing death from people who, who walked in and, and have their mind yet, and, and they just can't breathe, uh, you know, and, and uh, it's, it's really tough on a nurse um, when when that patient said, I can't live like this, and you got to take this high flow oxygen off me, and within 15 minutes, they're gone, yet they had all their faculties and and had no other comorbid conditions or, or that sort of thing, so how, how do we, how do we get people into healthcare, and how do we, how do we get the you know, the, the education system to make sure we're training enough of these healthcare professionals, because it's, it's, it's very difficult. I know it's hard for the universities, um, you know, to have the curriculum and follow all the, 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 the criteria that they need to follow and, and for them to hire, you know, nursing instructors who, uh, you know, in order to be accredited, you have to have certain level of nursing instructors, but at the same time, you know, we need to produce more nurses and, 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 and more nurse aides and more LPNs and those type of things to, uh, to, to be able to survive in, in the healthcare of the future. 
David, just before we wrap up, can you tell our listeners what a traveling nurse is? Well, a traveling nurse is uh, um, somebody who basically is for hire through a travel company. So we've actually lost probably 10 of our nurses um, to travel companies lately. Um, what happens, I mean, if you're young, if you're young or if you're older and have already, you know, raised your kids and, you know, have the flexibility, you know, a, a company will hire you for a three-month stint or a six-month stint somewhere, and, and you'll probably make twice as much money as, as you would working for the, the, your, your local hospital. And then there's a fee that the traveling nurse companies put on top of that. So, you know, they might be billing us $200 an hour, but uh, the nurse is probably getting maybe 70 or 80 bucks an hour, and the company's making the other 120 an hour. And, and just for arranging for them to be there and, you know, and, and uh, for young nurses, once they get some experience, they're thinking, hey, I, I want to go out and see the world. And, you know, instead of staying in Sault Ste. Marie in January and February and March, I, I could go and uh, get a travel job in Arizona or Florida or, or California. And, and uh, since I uh, can come back in the summer and enjoy the, the warm weather, um, you know, I, I, I can create my own little uh, perfect scenario where I, I never have to see snow again, but it really puts, you know, small rural hospitals, especially hospitals in the northern climate at a, at a disadvantage. Well, David, thank you for spending this time with us. That's been really informative and uh, the challenges are immense. Uh, and it's good to know there are leaders like you out there helping us through this in the rural areas. And all the added challenges uh, that we have. So, so David John, President and CEO of War Memorial Hospital in Sault Ste. Marie, thank you, my friend, very much. Thank you, David. You've been listening to the Rural Insights Podcast, brought to you by the Rural Insights Institute, working to ensure that rural citizens and policymakers alike have the information necessary to make good decisions. If you enjoy our content, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and YouTube channel. You can also subscribe to our weekly email newsletter by visiting ruralinsights.org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.